All right. Welcome to another edition, everyone, of your Adrenal Fix Lecture Series. I'm really excited that you guys are on the call tonight. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen, the Adrenal Fatigue Recovery Ninja, as I like to call myself. And really, my goal is to try to help you guys solve your adrenal fatigue nightmare by giving you guys a lot of information each week and trying to come up with really important topics and how your adrenals begin to break down and all the other variables in your body, the biomechanics, the physiology, the stressors, the toxins, the gut breakdown, the hormonal breakdown, the DNA and genetic problems. So each week I want to present to you guys a lot of valuable insight on what you can do naturally to help yourself recover. And today we're talking about fixing your adrenal fatigue by addressing your gut problems. So I'm really excited to get to talk to you about that. There was a lot of posts on Facebook this week about it's not just about H. pylori. And I would agree 100%. There's so many other gut microbes that can be impacting you adversely. There are other bacteria strains. There's other viral strains. There's mycoplasms, mycotoxins, yeast, candida. So we're not really going to get too much into those tonight. Suffice to say that those are all microbes that will alter the good percentage of healthy guys to unhealthy guys, and so um, which is known as dysbiosis. And the majority of patients that have a, a, a prolonged stress response have inflammation in their body. They have some kind of gut problem. And I always assume guilty until proven otherwise, meaning I, I assume you're autoimmune until proven otherwise. Um, but above that, I assume you have mitochondrial dysfunction until proven otherwise. And ultimately, your immune system is in your gut. And when you're not breaking foods down effectively, you're not converting that into energy. It's sitting there. It's fermenting. It's causing inflammation. It's draining your stress response. And it's something that if you're not identifying, if you're not addressing, if you're not doing some kind of proactive protocol to fix your gut, you're really missing the boat. So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, again, I want you guys to silence your phones if you can. Make sure that you just kind of close all your browser windows and focus in on this one, and and we can get a lot of information across today. I also want you guys to make sure you're, you have your pen and pencil or your piece of paper in hand or your computer so that you can write down some important numbers because I want you to try to look at your own blood work a little more critically and then get an idea if even though it shows that there are normal ranges for a lot of the blood values, they may not necessarily be in the healthy ranges. And I think you guys kind of get that by now. There's a difference between healthy and normal, or there's a difference between the sick ranges and the healthy ranges. And, and as I've talked about before, the sick ranges are typically those that you see on your, on your lab results, the ones that they compare to the average person who took the lab the year before. And if you're sicker than they are, you're flagged as high or low. And if you're within the ranges, you're, you're told you're normal. But you could still be feeling tired, exhausted, have brain fog, feel cold all the time. You can't focus. You have joint pain. You crash in the middle of the day. You're not sleeping. You are shaky, lightheaded, and jittery if you're not eating or you, or you crash right after you eat. And you're just not living the life you want. You're not bouncing back. You have, as a lot of the patients I consult with, you just have bone-chilling fatigue. And so if that's the case and your blood tests are normal, there's something wrong there. So um, I want to go over a little bit of that tonight. A little housekeeping first. I have to say this with a legal disclaimer. The information that I'm including but not limited to, whether it's text, graphic, images, or other materials contained in this presentation, is for informational purposes only. The purpose of this conference is to provide an understanding and knowledge of various health topics. It's not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've encountered in this presentation. All right, so with that out of the way, let's get into tonight's topic. So um, this, the title of this presentation is How to Solve Your Adrenal Fatigue by Fixing Your Gut. And of course, my name is Dr. Joel Rosen. I, I have the um, 
the Adrenal Fatigue Society blog, as well as the Facebook page, and as well as my uh, YouTube page. I'm going to have a lot of fun tonight. I'm going to try to get through it a little quicker than we did last week. Um, I like to try to aim for about 45 minutes to an hour, and then at the end of it, what I'll do is you can ask questions. Um, I'll unmute. I'll unmute you right now. It is at on two. It's on. If I press star two, you'll be unmuted. Or if you press star two, you'll be unmuted. And then that way you can ask me a question. Also, if you have any ideas for topics that I haven't discussed yet, whether on the Facebook page or in a workshop like tonight, then go ahead and, and type that in, and I can potentially get that covered for you guys. So um, so what are we going to cover tonight? We're going to cover uh, why H. pylori, uh, gut infections, and adrenal fatigue is a two-way street and each contributes to the other, and both require a specific protocol for adrenal fatigue recovery. And that's an important point because, as you'll notice, the biomechanics, the mechanics of the breakdown, it, it happens in two ways. So if your adrenal glands start to break down, it starts to impact your gut health, and your gut health becomes more susceptible to infections, which H. pylori is one of the biggest, most common bacterial infections ever. Um, or if you have um, an H. pylori infection and that creates a lot of inflammation and it, it, it decreases your ability to break down foods and you get a lot of fermenting and you get a lot of reflux and you don't absorb your B vitamins, then that's going to impact not just only your inflammation response or your adrenal response, it's going to impact your energy production response, which I think next week what we'll do is we'll get into a little more methylation, a little bit more MTHFR, maybe a little bit more cofactors that are necessary for for energy production. I think that'd be a great topic. So anyways, we're also going to go into the six common problems in the gut that leads to your chronic inflammation and burnt out adrenal glands. We're also going to cover the three-step process to be rebuilding your adrenal glands gut health and to break that vicious cycle because that's what it is. And then we're also going to talk about probably the one supplement you've never taken and two others that are paired with it so that you can recover with an H. pylori infection that your doctor probably doesn't even know about. And actually, I've learned this from Dr. Dan Kalish. He lectured at uh, Dr. Ben Lynch's uh, SheaCon conference for nutrigenomics this past April, and he has a research study published on H. pylori and the the use of this supplement. So um, I will try to give you a link to your website after or to your email after this this um, recording so that you can check out that research as well. So my goal is just to provide as much value as I can with you guys. As by now, you could probably tell I'm a nerd, and I really like to get into this stuff and try to help you as much as you can, as I can. Um, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Just keep your eye on the, on, the, on the big goal because if you're suffering with an adrenal gland problem, typically you're going to have these common symptoms of just being stressed out all the time. You have a stressful life. You have maybe a lot of finances or whatever. Whatever situations with your with your relationships or with uh, work or with your with just your environment and a lot of things going on at one time that seems to be some of the common threads that I work with patients with and I ask them you know when did this all start for you and they'll tell me it started you know in 2010 when when my father was sick and I had to care for him and then at the same time that happened you know I found out and you know usually stress happens in pairs or it just all when it rains it pours and it all comes down on you and the one thing you got to do is you just got to take each day by day and that's a big way to help you manage with stress is just realizing that it's it's you, you got to do the best you can mentally. It's not going to make things any better or worse by being um, more panic-stricken or more um, more obsessed about it. You just got to realize that you're you're in a situation where you're going to be able to manage this, and you just got to do the best you can. And it sounds kind of trivial to say that, but it, it makes a lot of sense. And when you're when you're um, stressed all the time, that's no good for your adrenals. It's a sympathetic stress response all. All the time and you're just going to burn out really quickly so um, also some of the characteristic symptoms are just not handling the stressors well so what will happen is, is your mindset could be right and you could be okay I'm going to handle this but you just can't help the fact that you're getting anxiety or you're getting uh, an inability to control your breathing and shortness of breath and then your heart rate goes up and you get panicky and then you have butterflies in your stomach and you stand up and you faint and I mean that's that's an autonomic impact where you've just 
drains your ability to produce energy, and now you're stealing your adrenaline and your 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 reserves, if you will, your your savings accounts to just fund the day-to-day stressors, and that's a big um, a big impact on your ability to to not handle it mentally. Um, going to the doctors and having your blood test being told that you're normal, nothing more frustrating than that, and also telling you that there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. Um, I think I'm going to keep beating that um, point up till till it's I'm blue in the face about that there is a real thing of breaking down of your adrenal glands, mitochondrial breakdown, uh, nutrigenomic deficiencies, uh, altered genes, um, oxidative stress, neurotransmitter impact, and yet the doctors are saying there's no such thing as this, and and that's the really frustrating part. So why should you listen to me? Probably a lot of you by now have heard my story. Um, I am from a traditional medical family. My family is all medical providers, and I am sort of the black sheep provider where I'm the holistic guy. I've been a chiropractor for 15 years now. Um, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in exercise physiology, so I was a trainer initially, and I hurt my back, and I avoided surgery, and I was able to get rehabilitation from a chiropractor, and at that point, it made me realize that that's what I wanted to do, so I went back to school. I got a second degree in psychology, and then I ended up going to chiropractic college, and at that point, I graduated in 2001. My wife was just pregnant with twins, and um, she had to go on bed rest. We almost lost the, the twins, and that was very stressful for me. We moved to Florida. I didn't know anyone had over $150,000 worth of student debt, uh, started my own practice, and I was just crashing. And then I injured my back again. So for me, uh, I had unstable blood sugar throughout the time. And that's the thing, you know, I, I tell my patients that it's the perfect it's the perfect storm situation where maybe I wouldn't have hurt my back um if if I didn't have so much uncontrolled inflammation in my body. Or maybe I would have hurt my back, but if I had eaten more regularly and I wasn't waiting a lot of time in between meals and I wasn't fueling myself on ca- caffeine and stimulants uh, like sugar uh, or even some of the exercise um, stimulants like Rip Fuel or Twin Labs uh, uh, ephedrine and some of the some of the supplements that they use for stimulants, those things will will drain your adrenal glands so when you injure your back or you have a car accident or you have a huge financial stressor or a divorce or a loss of a family member then it's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back and now you have the the turning on of a genetic weak link you have the expression of an autoimmunity you have the debilitated, fatiguing, lack of uh, adrenal response. It's just, it's the stressor that breaks the camel's back and it really depletes you of your of your energy stores. So it's, it's a work in progress. It doesn't just happen out of the blue. It's not like you get a cavity tonight and you, you it just happened, you, you had a piece of ice and now you feel a little tingling in your tooth. It's been building up for a long time and then eventually your body was unable to compensate any longer. And you, you, you you see people, they have a heart attack, they die on the spot at the gym, uh, they go on the treadmill and then they, they die right there and they do an autopsy on that person and they find out that they have 95% occlusion of their of their carotid arteries. And so what that means is there's 5% blood flow in that artery and, and that person's first symptom was death. They didn't even realize they had that. So the point being, your, your body's very amazing at, at, at compensating for for breakdowns until you finally um, have something happen that puts you over the top and and then you don't realize that it's been a work in progress and really it has been so what I'd like you to do is think about a timeline where you really felt great when was the last time you really felt great and 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 then think back what happened after that for you not to feel great was there an accident was there a major stressor was there an infection did you travel abroad did you have an antibiotic did you have a surgery did you have um some medication did you did you go to a house that was moldy i mean 
those are the clues that's going to tell the provider who's listening your diagnosis. And it's going to help us help you because it's going to put a, a starting point, a game plan. And a lot of that time, it's the gut. It's You look at the gut and people will tell me they've been on over 100 antibiotics in their lifetime and, and, and there's a gut breakdown. Or people tell me they've had an Epstein-Barr virus or they've had a, um, a Cipro medication or they had a major gum infection. And those are the things that we're going to be able to help you with when you put that timeline together. So think about what has been putting this in motion. Um, and that's really a, a bit of my story. And um, so I recovered with adrenal fatigue. And, and I'll be honest, I still deal with some issues. I still have um, uh, stressors, business stressors, uh, family stressors, children stressors. I mean, you're always going to have these stressors. Um, it's just how well are you doing a job of managing them from an emotional point of view, from a, from a biochemical chemistry point of view, from a nutritional point of view. And you just do the best that you, you possibly can can. So uh, let's transition into the webinar where you're going to get some take-home points, and that will hopefully help you guys tonight. So why H. pylori infections uh, and why gut infections, and, and how are these two related? So uh, let's get into that. Uh, a lot of you have probably heard of the Human Genome Project, but there's also something called the Human Microbiome Project. And basically, I think it was initiated in, in 2000, 2004, um, five-year project, $140 million efforts to study and explore how there's trillions of microscopic microscopic organisms in your body. Trillions. I mean, if you think about it, for um, every human cell in the body there is, we have a microbial cell of 10 to 1. So we're really nothing more but microbes, and, and we really have to have a favorable balance. And there was someone, I don't know who, who did, but there was someone who had a really great post on Facebook, and I really encourage you guys to, to post as much as you can. And, I, I you know, I'm in full-time practice. I have a lot of patients that I consult with, so I try to, I'm a father of twins and a, a married guy, and, and, and we have a lot of soccer on the weekends and, and so forth. So I try to get back to you as, as, as much as I can, and I'm not always going to do that. But a lot of you guys know a lot of information, and, and it's true. When, when you have a lot of microbes in your gut, in the trillions, then you need to have a healthy flora. And if there is more unhealthy bacteria to healthy bacteria, then ultimately you're losing the battle and when that happens there's more inflammation you're not breaking down fuel as effectively you're not turning on certain enzymes you're not making cofactors you're not making substrates you're not absorbing nutrients and and then it gets mixed around with the environmental toxicities and pesticides and solvents and pollutants and xenobiotics, and it's no wonder why our gut is really under a tremendous amount of onslaught every day. And what you really got to do is you just got to do little things on a day-to-day -day basis. I always say it, little hinges swing big doors, and so eating organic food is going to be helpful. Controlling your carbohydrate intake is going to be helpful. Uh, not eating um, the foods that have um, contamination or are fresh or not packaged, cornstarch or, or fructose. That's going to be um, fatty liver and gallbladder. That's going to be a topic that I'm going to be talking about soon and how that relates to your gut. But basically, the bottom line is, is that if you aren't doing things on a day-to-day basis to help your microbe, you're doing things that are hindering your microbe. And it really works that way. It's kind of like you're either getting better and you're improving or you're getting worse and you're taking steps back. So always think of it as a process, trying to have healthy flora. Um, go to the next one here. Um, so one trillion bacteria cells and at least a thousand different species. Um, early disruption of gut flora affects later immune function. This, the, the Human Microbiome Project found that. So if you've had gut problems as a child, if you were not breastfed till term, um, if you didn't have a vaginal birth, if you didn't... Um, if you had a lot of um, antibiotics and you had all your vaccinations and you had your your tonsils removed or your adenoids removed or you had any of those tissues removed, those are clues that you have some early disruption. If you were on a lot of antibiotics, unfortunately for me, my mother is a public health nurse and they would go into the school systems in Toronto and they would immunize the kids. So I was always being immunized and I always was being put on antibiotics 
antibiotics and I always had ear infections and I would go to the hospital and I would have tubes put in and out of my ears and so I would be the kid that would be in the car and would would get motion sickness and go on a boat and get motion sickness and go on the roller coasters and get motion sickness and that's a good sign that if you have some vestibular or you don't do well in the car or you have some headaches when you travel um, that potentially your gut lining or the antibiotic use that you've had has impacted your brain adversely. And again, that's another good topic we can talk about in terms of adrenal gland dysfunction and brain function. But anyways, the gut flora and the brain are basically one of the same, and that's where we get the saying where you had a gut feeling. We release so much neurotransmitters, serotonin and dopamine, and all of those can be found in the gut. So when we don't have a healthy gut flora, then we can have associated brain fog and focus and concentration and balance and all of those things could be associated with that. Um, healthy flora also aids in the digestion of carbohydrates and fiber to form small chain fatty acids, which in turn helps fuel the enterocytes. So what that basically means is short chain fatty acids, butyric acid, acid, those are propionic acid. Those are really good supplements that you can use to help fuel the enterocytes and help them develop so that you have healthy flora. Also, kombucha is really good stuff. Um, fermented foods can be really helpful. Um, I could do a seminar on, on that and SIBO as well. So, The mucus lining, though. The mucous membrane basically comprises the entire uh, interface of the GI canal. And so from the mouth to the anus, we have a lining of mucous membrane, and it really protects the inside from the outside. It's kind of like the 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 structure of a home. It protects from the inside, from the outside. And when that starts to break down, then all of a sudden you start having uh, pests in your house or critters in your house. You have rain and mildew and mold, and you have a breach of the outside lining into the inside lining, and that ultimately is going to stress your immune system. It's going to cause your inflammatory response to get engaged. And guess what controls your inflammatory response or what gland um, regulates that? And that's our adrenal glands. So these are really, really important glands that have a big responsibility. And so the most abundant, uh, sorry, the most absorption of nutrients and toxins occur across the mu mucous membrane. And this is where most, pa most pathogens enter the body by binding and penetrating to the mucous membrane. So we'll do a test with patients. Um, write this down. It's called wheat zoomer or um, the gut pack test. And I use a lab called Vibrant America. And I'll, and I'll do a, a lecture on that as well. Um, but basically what they do is they test for leakiness of the gut. So they'll look at the at the peptides or the proteins that hold the gut wall together. And when we start to have a porousness or a breakdown of these membranes, then these protein structures or peptide structures start to tear. And when they tear, they break up and they enter into the immune system. And what happens is our immune system knows that it needs to be on guard for any foreign invaders. And these foreign invaders are peptide structures, uh, cell walls of bacteria are peptide structures, which are protein molecules that that are uh, uh, microscopic, and so when our immune system is over uh, diligent, if you will, they start to react against these food structures, and then that's where we start to get food reactivity. So when you, I use the example, think of a fine metal strainer, and it gets broken. So it, not only is it draining the pasta, it's also draining the water, and the pasta is falling through. And when that happens, you start to stimulate an immune response, and that immune response creates inflammation, drains the adrenal glands. It can now create antibodies to the particular foods that you're eating. Eating. So now every time you eat gluten, dairy, egg, soy, corn, rice, potato, quinoa, and you thought you were doing a good job by being gluten-free, um, and potentially you could be doing a good job being gluten-free, but because your immune system also reacts now against oats or it also reacts now against quinoa, every time you eat the gluten-free stuff, which doesn't taste as good, you're reacting as well. So it's a real problem, and what I tell patients is it starts with detection. It starts with identifying what's causing your your body to not be able to break down the, the peptides properly, 
and we'll, that's where we're going to talk about H. pylori. And then it also talks about figuring out what foods you react to. And, and I, I really like to use Cyrex labs. Probably most of you have heard of that already. I've had patients who've done all cat testing. And I tell them that that's just a histamine response. It's not actually a true antibody test, which means you're not testing your own immune system to find out if your immune system has produced antibodies to the peptide, which means you have a true intolerance or you have a true um, sensitivity. And it's not an allergy, so you don't, you're not allergic per se, um, but you are intolerant and you are sensitive where you produce immunoglobins, and those immunoglobins can cause cross-reactivity against a lot of tissue. So those are a couple good points for you. Um, all right, so w what happens? Why, do, why does the mucous membrane break down? Um, what basically happens is with stress, these mucous membranes start to break down. Um, high cortisol levels, as you know, when we get stressed, our brain tells our adrenals, hey, you've got to settle down this stress, and we, ACTH is sent to the adrenal glands, and it secretes cortisol. And then cortisol says, okay, we've got to get some blood uh, sugar into the bloodstream. We've got to become very catabolic. We've got to break things down. We've got to slow down our heart rate. We've got we to gotta change the, the expression of this stressor so that we can get back to baseline. And what that what happens repeatedly over and over and over and over because cortisol is such a catabolic uh, hormone, it starts to break down the secretory IgA that lines the gut wall and makes you more prone to that intestinal permeability. So you know, as we know that we have emotional stress, whether you feel it's a real event or not, and that's a good side point. How many of us actually get more stressed by the actual event than the outcome of the event? So you may have a talk, a lecture. You may have to, you know, approach someone and tell them what happened and you're fearing it. You may have to talk to the boss and you get so worked up about what is actually going to get, what's going to happen, that it's even worse than the actual thing that happens. How many times has that happened to you? Um, also, uh, so those, that's a very important factor for um, causing a release of cortisol because your adrenal glands don't know the difference between a perceived event or a real event. It just knows that it's been told to release cortisol. Dietary stress is a, is a big stressor, um, whether it's too much carbohydrate intake, whether you're eating, like I just mentioned, pesticide foods or GMO foods or contaminated foods, you're not secreting enough stomach acid, or you're eating foods that you're reacting to now every single day. All of those are going to create inflammation in your body. And then there's the hidden source of inflammation, whether it's an injury, so a repeated trauma, or uh, a, a workplace where you have repeated stressors, physical breakdown of the body, wear and tear, um, or pathogens. And pathogens typically with my patient base and you guys that are listening tonight, that's typically what you're missing on, whether it's an Epstein-Barr virus, it's heavy metal toxicities, it's, it's mold, it's parasites, it's... Um, candida, yeast, um, typically bacteria, H. pylori, these are the things that are hidden that are continuing to put um, a stress on your immune system, breaking down your secretory IgA. And until you identify those and put a program together to identify and address them, you're going to continue spinning your wheels. You can take Cortif or you can take Pregnenolone or you can take DHEA or you can take um, all of these great adaptogens or adrenal um, glandulars, but until you actually start to break the, address the, the actual pollutants, the sprays, the, the uh, fire retardants, the, the things that you're breathing in every single day, the things that you're in contact with every single day, if you're not addressing those things, then you are not going to get better, if, especially those are the things that are, you're experiencing and are, are breaking your body down. So that's a real take-home point for you guys. Um, secretory IgA, though, that is the first line of defense. It lines the mucous membranes. And, and research has shown that when we have a prolonged stress response and when we have cortisol release, ultimately what happens is it breaks down the um, secretory IgA. And there's a lot of tests that you can do. The ASI test um, does a test, adrenal salivary index will test your secretory IgA. I don't do it very much anymore because I just assume guilty until proven otherwise. And we know that if you're under stress, then your, your secretory IGA is going to be low. 
And like I mentioned, because your secretory IgA is low now, now all of a sudden you are not secreting as much stomach acid, you're not disinfecting your food, you're coming in contact with, with contaminated foods, whether it's bacteria or parasites or yeast or mold, and then ultimately that will create a cluster of, um, of pathology or, or microbial microbiological uh, harmful agents in your gut and and then you start to have biofilms and it starts to eat up a lot of your iron so if a lot of you guys have low iron low ferritin um, there's probably a pathogenic reason for that and typically it's a biofilm which is another whole lecture series altogether so secretary IgA, we've we got to basically learn how to control that stress, that, that emotional stress. We've got to learn how to eat properly and identify foods that you're, you're reacting to. And it's not just about being gluten-free. It's also about controlling your carbohydrate intake and making sure you're eating healthy fats. Um, but basically it causes a breakdown of that gut lining. And let's see, I actually learned this from John last week. Let's see how I can do this. So basically that secretory IgA lines here and what will happen is you'll start to get tearing of these walls. So now this little space here becomes a big open space and then these microbes start to pass through the gut wall and they get into the immune system and we're not attacking it anymore. So that's what causes that breakdown. So let's talk about H. pylori. Um, so what is the relationship? Well, you kind of, I kind of t told you about that already. It's, it's basically the most common bacteria infection out there. And as we get stressed prolonged over and over and over again, then that secretary IgA breaks down. And when there's no longer that first line of defense, then we will now come in contact with bacteria and our stomach will not secrete enough stomach acid and then we are not killing off that bacteria and the next thing you know we get an H. pylori infection. The H. pylori infection will start to wreak havoc in your in your stomach cells. They'll take out the parietal cells and the chief cells so you're not able to secrete intrinsic factor and that's a really good point for you guys. You should be able to, um, you, a lot of patients that I consult with, they have pernicious anemia. So one of the tests that you may want to ask your doctor to do is to do a um, an anti-parietal cell antibody test. So you're testing to see if you have an autoimmunity against the parietal cells. Very, very common. I have a lot of patients that I diagnose that with that no one has told them about that. Or they may have anti-intrinsic factor antibodies, which means it's not only the cell that makes the intrinsic factor, it's the actual intrinsic factor too. And you can have one, you can have both, or you can have the other one. And typically if someone has intrinsic factor antibodies or chief cell antibodies, then not only are they pernicious anemic, they probably have an H. pylori infection that caused that, or they also have food reactivities that they are not uh, identifying, or they have methylation problems because now they're not absorbing B12 and they're taking a lot of B12, and I see this all the time, their B12 levels are astronomical. They're like in the 1900s or 2000s, and you combine that with the MTR or MTRR genetic weak link, um, then now you have a recipe for disaster and you have that perfect storm where you have all of this and this is born out of an H. pylori infection. So it will take you down. And a lot of patients will tell me that they don't even really realize they have symptoms. They don't have gas. They don't have digestive problems. They don't have any bloating. They don't have any pain. And then they tell me they don't think they have a problem. And then I ask them, why are they on the phone with me or in the office? And they'll tell me about their just uncontrollable fatigue and that's well that could be an H. pylori infection that could be taking down your mitochondria you're not producing energy you're not able to regenerate the cell wall you're not able to reduce oxidative stress you're not able to make ATP and you're crashing and that's a huge problem so um, I would tell you that you should probably, if you have a couple values that are out of range, which we'll get to in a couple moments, then you should do an H. pylori test. 
So it's an easily acquired infection. And the thing is, is that it's very, very communicable in family. So if you have one, it's a good chance little Johnny has one. It's a good chance your daughter or your husband or your wife or, or anyone that lives there has it also. So we can work really hard on fixing your gut, but if you're still in the environment where the spouse has it, then it's more than likely going to come back as well. Um, it's acquired in foods. It's acquired from kissing. Um, it's, it's bacteria is most often enters through uncooked foods. Uh, one study actually documented a third of the cases through saliva and kissing. Um, the likelihood of infection is correlated to the age. So the, the older you are, the more likely you're going to have it. 80% of individuals infected with this are asymptomatic, and they don't even realize it, which is crazy, right? So one of the things I learned from Dr. Kalish at that workshop uh, in in September or in August, and sorry, April, in in Scottsdale was to do the test. So even if you don't think the patient has it, it's a good idea to do it because as we go through the end of this presentation today, you'll find out what you can do naturally that's really really effective. Actually, he's publishing like I mentioned that article, and it's a two month protocol, and it's really really effective at knocking that out. And you'll start to see some widespread improvements, not just more energy, you may feel less depressed, more focused because it had been knocking out your neurotransmitters. Remember, your neurotransmitters are in your gut and your neurotransmitters are the end product of of energy production and your neurotransmitters become depleted when we're stressed out and we burn through all our, our, our tryptophan and our catecholamine. So it's a huge problem when, when you have an H. pylori infection, obviously. Um, more than 50% of the world's population um, harbor an H. pylori uh, in their upper GI tract, and it's more prevalent in developing countries and decreased in Western, Western civilizations. Uh, the six common problems in the gut that leads to your chronic inflammation and burnt-out adrenal glands. So the link between stress and reduced secretory IgA meant it was more than just an infectious process. So that's what the first problem is. So what the heck do I mean by that? So what I mean by that is these researchers from Australia, Barry Marshall and, and Robin Warren, they found out in the 80s that when people had gastritis, they had ulcers, that it wasn't just a stressed problem. And originally, Hans Selye um, had his research published on the stress theory and found out that a lot of people had, uh, who had stress had ulcers or his lab rats had ulcers. And so these guys came along after and found out it's not just that they had stress, it's because they actually had an H. pylori infection. So what, that, what happened as a result of that was the fact that now doctors or gastrointestinal doctors didn't have to talk to you anymore. They didn't have to say, hey, tell me about your stress and tell me about your emotional stuff and tell me about your food that you're eating and tell me about other hidden pathogens because we know now it's H. pylori and all we have to do is give you antibiotics, which is going to disrupt your microbiome even further, and all we could have to do is give you, um, say, um, a proton pump inhibitor which is going to decrease your stomach acid even further and 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 you're not going to get better whereas when when we started to realize that the connection still meant that secretory IgA was low because of stress we threw the baby out with the bathwater which also means that unfortunately even though we found out H pylori was the cause of the ulcer we didn't really look to see what was the cause of the H pylori and yes it's it's the fact that we came in contact with the pathogen but we became more susceptible to that pathogen causing a problem when the stress had caused the secretory IgA to be diminished to the point where you're no longer breaking down your foods effectively and you're having a breach of your cell membrane and your immune system's getting taxed and now all of a sudden you contract an H. pylori infection. So the number one problem was the fact that we no longer look to the stress connection and that's really uh, an important point. Um, the uh, number two problem is the fact that 
up to 85% of people inf uh, infected with an H. pylori, they don't even have any symptoms. So a lot of your doctors are not even looking to that. Another one I should actually put on there is a big problem with H. pylori infections is the inadequateness of the actual test. Because if you've had a breath test or you've had a stool sample and they haven't checked for the DNA sequence or they haven't checked for the antibody or the antigen presentation of the H pylori, then again, you may have been wrongly told you don't have an H. pylori infection, which is a big problem. So we'll talk about what tests I recommend you should do. Um, the third problem was now that you have a decreased ability to secrete stomach acid, you're going to have the paradoxal symptoms of heartburn. And, and what do we do when we have patients that have heartburn? We give them antacids. So here you are with not enough stomach acid because of an H. pylori infection um, causing your, your cells to not secrete any more stomach acid. And because that food ferments and sits there and causes gastric reflux, your doctor is giving you a proton pump inhibitor or some kind of antacid that's causing even further problems. So um, that's a number problem number three. Number four is now that you're unable to disinfect your food, you have a more likely chance to coming up with other infections. And this is where we start to have um, these, these biofilms and where you start to have um, multiple co-infections of parasites and bacteria and other bacterias and candida and yeast and mold, and it's a huge problem. Um, the, other, the fifth problem is when we have increased inflammation. Now what I've already talked about is intestinal permeability develops. And intestinal permeability develops, then we start to get food sensitivities. And when we start to get food sensitivities, we start to get antibodies against other tissues like your thyroid or your pancreas or your colon or your gut or your brain. And now you have more likelihood for an autoimmunity. Um, number six, with increased inflammation in the gut, you're less likely to absorb your vital nutrients. And when you're not absorbing your vital nutrients, all of a sudden you're, you're going to have, A, nutritional deficiencies, but B, you're going to be missing the cofactors that are necessary to drive mitochondrial function. So that means that maybe you're not making neurotransmitters, you're not breaking down dopamine, or you're not making uh, epinephrine, or you're not making um, serotonin, or you're not fighting off an infection, or you're getting a lot of oxidative stress, or you're not able to make um, uh, DNA, or, or, or you're not able to regenerate your nerves, and all of a sudden you start to break down. But yet you don't have any stomach problems, you have energy problems. And then the last one I could have put here is you start to develop adrenal fatigue, and that's a huge problem. So what is the three-step process to, to rebuilding this? And what do we do to get you back on track? Well, obviously, we talked about the causes, the stressors, the emotional stressors, the dietary stressors, the inflammation that we don't even know about, other infections. So we've got to identify all those things. You've got to keep logs, and you've got to find out when the last time you felt good, and what are the different things that stress you on a day-to-day -day basis, and what do you come in contact in your home, and do you have electrical pollution in your in your bedroom is your wireless router beside your bed or are you plugging your phone in and it's laying two feet from your head all of these things are going to be stressors to you and that's going to cause breakdown of your gut lining and less secretory IgA so the first thing is to identify and remove those causes and it seems easy to say that and we led the presentation off with that but you really got to do that and you got to take inventory and a lot of the times that's what I do when we troubleshoot with patients is let's find out what you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and let's reduce those things. The second thing, obviously, is the gastrointestinal repair protocol. So you have to test for H. pylori. We do PCR testing, which is basically looking at the DNA sequence of your stool. We also look for stool antigens, and then we also look for blood antibodies. So when we do that, we have the combination. We're not missing anything, and we're finding out that you really do have an H. pylori. But here's where I wanted you to write things down. So a lot of the times I'll have a patient who will come in with just a C 
CBC. They'll have their hemoglobin, their red blood cells, their hematocrit. And so what I want you to do is I want you to look at your MCVs and your MCHs and your MCHCs. And basically those are the size, the concentration uh, of your red blood cells. And from a lab range, you'll see with the MCVs, it's anywhere between 79 to 97. So that's the lab range, 79 to 97. The functional range is 85 to 92. So 92 is the high end of functional, and 97 is the high end of laboratory range. So if you're 93, 94, 95, 96, I have a patient I'm working with right now, she's 103. That means that her red blood cells are too big. And if they're too big, then she's more than likely trending towards a macrocytic anemia, meaning she's either B12 deficient, folate deficient, or both. That can point to a genetic problem because she may not be recycling her B12, she may not be methylating, so there could be some genetic problems there, but more than likely, what did we already talk about? We talked about the fact that if she's not secreting enough stomach acid, she's not liberating her intrinsic factor part of the B12 to absorb that. She's not able to digest her foods, absorb her B12, and then all of a sudden she becomes deficient. So to me, that could be an H. pylori problem. So it's really important to look at your your size of the red blood cell and get an idea if that if they're too big but they're not actually deemed laboratory high, that they could still be macrocytic. The other thing I would do is I'd look at your neutrophils, and if your neutrophils, um, which is your first responding white blood cells, if they're not between 40 to 60% and they're, say, 65, 66, 67, 70, then that's a good chance that there's some bacteria overgrowth and there's an H. pylori problem as well. So so you'd want to identify it first of all. And, and you really want to identify it too because you you don't want to go through a two-month program and only to find out that you didn't have it. It's not going to hurt you by going on some of the, the natural botanicals and supplements that we put you on, but you really want to test before and after so that you can see in black and white you had an infection two months ago and you retest and you no longer have an infection. You test your red blood cells. You see that the size comes better, but most importantly, you see that your energy levels have improved. You see that you're digesting your food better. You're not as sensitive to it. Your energy levels are improved and all because you had an H. pylori infection. Um, you also have to make sure that you repair that leaky gut too because that gut has broken down. And we'll talk about some stuff that you can do for that. And then lastly, the three-step process is the detoxification system. So we're talking about the liver here. We're talking about methylation. We're talking about nutrient deficiency. And then, of course, holistic detox methods. So things like coffee enemas, things like infrared saunas, things like um, liver cleanses, obviously milk thistles, something that people do a lot of. But there's a lot of other um, really great botanicals that you can do. And then castor oil packs are really wonderful over the liver as well. So those are things that you can do. Um, one supplement you've probably never taken and two others that is paired with that supplement that doctors probably haven't recommended that can change your adrenal, ch change your adrenal, adrenal gland function. Um, we'll skip to the bottom part, which is basically down here, and that's mastica gum. And mastica gum is basically an herb that can, or that can really help fight off that bacteria infection. And so typically it's going to be um, 1,000 milligrams three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you're going to do that for 60 days. And typically we like to pair that with, let's see if I can, sorry about that. We like to pair that with um, diglycerated licorice or slippery elm. Um, a lot of supplements out there, um, a lot of people don't do well to glutamine, but glutamine is a good supplement that you can use to repair the gut. Um, colostrum I'm using now a lot with my patients and protein-rich pla uh, plasma with um, immunoglobins, very soothing to the gut. And then, of course, you're going to want to pair it with probiotics. So, um, probio so that's basically the, the three supplements you'll want to use for 60 days. And you can get that from a bunch of different people. I can help coordinate that for you as well. Um, and that's a really great protocol that you can do. 
the treatments that the typical medical model does is they use uh, PrevPak, they use prescriptions, and they use antibiotics and tetracycline, and all of those things can act as inhibitors to genes. So why would you not just go with the natural stuff? So um, hopefully you got a little bit out of that as well. So. Um, so that's pretty much it for today. I didn't want to um, beat you to a pulp with a lot of the scientific facts that we went over last time. I definitely will have a replay available for you. I hope you got a lot out of tonight. I'm really grateful you guys were here to spend that, the hour with me, and I look forward to helping you in your recovery for your adrenal fatigue nightmare. So let me see if we have any questions here, and we'll go from there. So... Um, First one I have here is um, with gut issues. Would it be wise decision to juice juice fast or some sort of some sort to give the GI tract a rest and to heal? Um, I don't know if I subscribe to that because if you have microbes and you have candida in yeast and you start to do a cleanse with juice, you're going to be feeding it all sorts of fuel. And it's not really a targeted plan. Um, I would probably tell you to test to find out what kind of microbes you have and then go from there. Um, potentially, you could starve it and you can go on just a, a fast where you're not really juicing um, but making sure you're hydrating, and that would probably be really helpful as well. But provided you're paying attention to your electrolytes and you're making sure you're getting enough of your mineral concentration and you're not dehydrating. I would choose that over juicing, um, but juicing can be really effective with the um, with the nutrients that you're getting provided you're using whole-based organic foods that, are, that have a really good um, auric value and have a lot of minerals in there as well. Um, the connection keeps going out using my computer to listen. Okay, I'm sorry about that. And and that's really it. I don't I don't know if there's any more questions, but I wanted to thank you guys for coming on the line, and um, I look forward to talking to you guys next week. All right, take care and have a great evening. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.